Well, I'm excited. I'm not sure that I have ever been this excited about a message that I've given. Uh, This is something I've been thinking about now for weeks, and then something happened this week that I had (laughs) to give this message. So, I asked Jason, and Laura was there too, I said, Jason, uh, any chance I could give a message? And you know, wives are more in tune with our needs, right? Laura immediately said, how about Sunday? Right? (laughs) And I think Jason was more, you know, he's probably thinking, well, that'd be too soon. And then later on, he came back, so could you do it this Sunday? (laughs) So this is perfect. And I think it's going to play right into this lesson. But first, I wanted to say that we are a blessed congregation. And uh, I just started thinking about the assets that we have here at Montgomery. Uh, We are filled with grace. We accept everybody who comes. Uh, I keep hearing from new visitors that they have never experienced love like they have here. We have people serving, and I think Part of the value of being in this place is that all of a sudden we have a bunch of people doing things that they would have never had the chance to do anywhere else. We have a lot of people who have been around longer. (laughs) They're experienced. We have incredible teachers. But the one I really wanted to mention here in a minute is we have mentors We have people who have a wealth of experience and knowledge. We have elders who have been elders mentoring the current elders, right? And recently, Lee and Stuart have given all the elders two books to read. And one of those books is what I'm, and they both fit really well together. And that's what I have been thinking about now for weeks, and I want to just talk about one aspect of one of those books. But I saw this picture, and uh, I just had to include, because this is the older elder nudging the younger elder. (laughs) Here, take this book, and don't screw it up, right? (laughs) So anyways, this book, I bet I have to point it is how change comes to the church. And as I understand it, we're shifting from this attractional model to a missional model. And attractional model is relying on programs. If we build it, they'll come. If we have these things that will attract people, the 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 uh, <clears throat> and you you go on and on, but and let me just say there is nothing wrong. We still are going to have programs, right? 
we still have things like that. But that is not to be our central thrust. We want to be on mission 24-7. And I'm going to go into that difference a little bit more. But um, the idea is that we are joining God in what he is already doing. That's the idea. When Cindy and I <clears throat> decided we needed to get a new car, Cindy wanted to get a car that not everybody else had. Okay? So we got a red Prius. All of a sudden, we discovered how many other red Priuses there are in Albuquerque, right? Because we started looking for red Priuses. I'm here to tell you today, God is alive and active. His Spirit is moving here in amazing ways. We just need to look. <laughs> when you start looking for God moving so that you can join in, you will see him move. And I'm going to tell you some of these ways that he's been moving. <clears throat> but uh, another person says that it's uh, this missional lifestyle is... Uh, Approaching and engaging others with the gospel. Okay. So that is where we want to go. <clears throat> and in case you have may think that, well, this is just some book that... Uh, but th this is throughout the Bible. And I guess I had just never seen it from this perspective, the way this author put it, but... John 20, 21 says, As the Father sent me, so also I sent you. And one of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, or N.T. Wright says, The church exists, in other words, for what we sometimes call mission, to announce the world that Jesus is its Lord. Now, many of you may be thinking, well, this is nothing new. I've been doing this all along. And, and many of you have. See, this is part lesson and part confession because I realize that I have not been doing what I'm about to talk about uh, enough. <clears throat> we are to discern. We have to think about what God's final purpose is, what his promised end result is, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Okay, that's the end. That's what he promises. How we're going to get there is not so certain. That's why we have to look and discern. Think about what he's doing today so I can join in. But this is what really... It was almost as if someone reached out of this book and grabbed me when I read this next phrase here. He said this is practical 
atheism. Now, I don't like to think of myself as an atheist. But here he's saying this is practical atheism. When we believe that God exists and is active in our lives, but when asked to tell stories to their fellow members about those everyday lives, they rarely use God as a subject in sentences with active verbs. In short, though members believe in God and God's movement in the world, they seldom indeed often never articulate God's movement in their everyday lives to others. Combined with social and cultural changes, this practical atheism makes forming Christian community in a post-Christendom setting almost impossible. Certainly it is unlikely. Think about that for a minute. I know I did. I've been thinking about this ever since. We need to proclaim what God is doing. Now, I've been thinking about why don't I do this enough? And I think there's several reasons. <clears throat> I am a data-driven kind of a guy I do science all day long every day for the Air Force. And I am hesitant to attribute something to someone when I am not certain of it. Okay? False attribution. So there's that hesitation. The federal government frowns on evangelism at the work site. Right? <clears throat> and so... I have spent the last 35 years of my life working for the Air Force who frowns on this type of talk at, at the workplace. And finally, personally, I have always tended on focusing on one side of the equation, that I think that if I do good enough deeds, that is enough. My deeds will speak for themselves. And I'm not saying that's not important. We certainly should let our deeds speak. But this author, and I think the Bible, these verses say that good deeds are not enough. Because there's little difference between that and the humanitarian agencies that are doing those same things every day. Okay? It has to be both. <clears throat> and here are some other verses. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So these are three verses that are commanding us to speak, to proclaim the deeds of God. 
And <laughs> you say, well, why? Not, not only is it important to get that word out there, but it is incredibly encouraging. And here in a minute, we're going to get uh, someone up that really caused me <laughs> to have to speak. So God is alive and active today. The Spirit is moving, and that is why I am so excited. God <laughs> moved 2,000 years ago. But think about this for a minute. If you only heard about what someone did 2,000 years ago, wouldn't you start to think, is he alive today? Is he still doing anything? Is he alive? Are we just worshiping some ancient God who isn't moving today? That's what I would wonder. I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm up here today. And let me just say, I haven't told this to anybody yes, un, until right now, but Jason emailed the elders who the leading associate minister candidate is right now. <laughs> and when, <laughs> when I read it, I just sat down and started crying. Tears of joy, <laughs> because God is answering our prayers in a more powerful way than we can dream or imagine. <clears throat> now, how is this going to change how you think about things? Now, remember when you were a little kid, on Christmas morning, what did you, you got up, you got up early, and you're wondering, what am I going to get today? It's Christmas. See, when we grasp this missional mindset, every day's Christmas. What is God going to do in my life today? Who's he going to put in front of me that I can have an impact on? Today. What is going to happen today? What other email am I going to read about where I understand God is blessing us in powerful ways? His Spirit is moving today. That's exciting. I want to find out. I'm looking for the next Red Prius. I am looking for how God is going to answer my prayers today. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> what is God going to do with Montgomery this year? So, <clears throat> as I said, I've been thinking about this for some time now. <clears throat> I want to talk about God. 
And so recently, I got the opportunity to start a master gardener class. I'm going to be a master gardener in here in a few months. Hopefully. <clears throat> so, I'm reading the notes for the first introduction of the class. We're kind of meet and greet, and we're meeting the other classmates. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say? <laughs> and they want to know why I'm in this class. And so I said, I think God wants us to be stewards of this earth. And we have done a terrible job of it. And this is my way to turn that around, personally. And I was shocked at how many good responses I get. Got that that day. So I am thinking about new ways to get God in the conversation. <clears throat> I am convinced that God moved Carol next to Mickey. <laughs> they have been such a blessing to each other. God moved Carol Cole to this congregation. He keeps moving Carols into our lives. <laughs> and we need 50 more of them. <clears throat> but the story that I really want you to hear and that uh, drove me to the sermon is best told by the person who experienced it. So I'm going to have Diana come up and tell you this story. Lots of really friendly faces here, so that's good. God is good. Many of you knew my mom and dad. A few years back, I learned that my dad was, he was not my biological father. And my aunt had confirmed this news, and she gave me a name, and some research was done, and nothing was found. And then a few years later, I, for some reason, thought that man had passed away. So you can imagine my surprise when last May I accidentally found him, that he was not only living but he was just an hour and 20 minutes away from our son Jason's, which is where I was at that time. <clears throat> I found that his first wife of 58 years had passed away and she couldn't have any children. A few years after she passed, he remarried and he's been married to Patty for 11 years. After some really strong persuasion from my kids, we found his phone number, called him, we talked to him, and he was unaware, but he was so happy, and he wanted to meet me today or tomorrow. So my boys and I made the drive out, spent a few hours with he and his wife, and 
Not only did he find that he had a daughter that he always wanted, but he had grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Well, the next day, he started calling me every day, twice a day. <laughs> but I was very mindful of his marriage. And so I called him and I said, can you and I and Patty have a conversation and set some healthy boundaries that would work for you guys? And he thought that that would be a good idea. And that conversation never happened. And a few, a few days later, I received a phone call from Patty. And she was extremely accusing. And she had said some things that I found out later were not true. And then I started receiving text messages from her that were so cruel. And in her phone call to me, she said, I don't want you to tell John. That's my dad's name. And when she would send me these cruel texts, she would also say, do not tell my husband about this conversation or about this message. And then I started receiving text messages, random messages from phone numbers that were being covered up by some app. And, and they were scriptures that were being used against me. And the first text that came, I was, we were able to track it back to a friend of my dad's sister. She and his wife had teamed up against me. One morning, I was feeling extremely overwhelmed and exhausted and sad. And I was listening to worship music. And then someone started talking. And it was a preacher. And the name of the message was, When the Battle Chooses You. And I thought, I believe I'm supposed to listen to this. And what I got from that was, this is not my battle. I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to stand up for myself and fight back, but it wasn't my battle. I felt like there was a spiritual battle that was going on, but God was fighting it, not me. Well, Patty's text messages continued through the summer and into the fall, but then the end of November, she was rushed to the hospital. And my dad had said he didn't think she was going to make it. She was in the hospital for 10 days, and I kept telling him, I will come and help because they had no one. And I said, talk to her and see if she would let me come. So he finally did, and she agreed. So mid-December, I made the trip to Texas, and I, I got there the day after she got home from the hospital. And it was a little awkward at first. And I kept myself busy with cleaning and laundry and cooking and running errands. But then I started praying with her. I would pray with her at night. I would pray scripture over her. I would pull up worship songs for her to listen to. And she told me a few times that she was so grateful that I had come because she didn't know what they would have done had I not been there. 
And then Joe flew in, and it was right before Christmas, so we went to our sons for Christmas. And then the day after, we drove back over to Dad and Patty's and spent a few hours before we went home. And then my dad was to have a procedure on January 10th, and I said, I'll come back for a week. So I flew over on the 9th, and I was able to take him to the VA hospital and um, help Patty, and again, I prayed with her. And a couple of home health nurses came in, and I was in the back, and I overheard her say, our daughter is here. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> well, the morning that I was heading home, Patty said to me, you know, sometimes I think that God erases our memory, and maybe that's a good thing. Because I know I sent you some text messages, but I don't remember what I said. And if I said anything to hurt you, I am so sorry. Last week, I was in Stuart and Diesta's class, and it hit me. God's love. God's love overcame. His love overcame evil all the evilness that was taking place, God's love overcame. And I believe that this is the most powerful and humbling lesson that I've ever learned. God's love overcame. This woman that had been so incredibly cruel to me just apologized to me and thanked me for my love and my care. And it wasn't my battle to fight. It was his glory. It was his battle. It was his love. And it was his victory. So you can imagine when we got the text from Diana telling us that, our life group was really rejoicing because <laughs> we had been praying for her for months. And uh, those are the kind of proclamations <laughs> that we need to make. We need to share uh, what God is doing in our lives today. <coughs> Well, let me close with uh, one last story. Now, and again, this is, this is God moving. Jason, in a meeting with us yesterday, was sharing this passage in 1 Peter with us that we are going to be dwelling in. And again, this whole book, How Change Comes to the Church, is talking about practices, and I'm talking about just one of those, but another practice is dwelling in the Word. So we're going to be spending a lot of time in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I need to, to back up a little bit because th this is a key part of the verse. But you remember Joshua after he... <clears throat> brought the 12 tribes over the River Jordan. 
he had them pull 12 stones out of the river and stand them up. These 12 standing stones. So that when your children walk by, <laughs> they'll ask you, what happened here? <clears throat> Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you are a chosen race. a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Think about it. Isn't that the neatest thing? That we are those standing stones. We are living stones that people need to wonder when they see us. What God do you serve? Why are you different? And we need to be pre prepared to proclaim, to tell people of the mighty works that God is doing through his Holy Spirit today. The God is not some ancient God who died and is no longer active, but he is living and moving and active today with both our deeds and our words. So let's proclaim together. <laughs> Let's share the gospel with our words and deeds in little ways at your master gardener class <laughs> and in big ways when people, I mean, that, that to me is the modern miracle is when hardened hearts are soft. Isn't that a one? That, there is nothing more powerful than when people, they are just changed with the love of God. So let's do this together.